See ya. Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Parable of the prodigal son in direct response to the attitudes of the Pharisees. I know each Sunday that we've been in this series, I've read these verses, but I want to be sure anyone coming in uh, on a Sunday not having been with us, but understand the context of why Jesus tells such a story. The very first of the chapter said, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. In other words, they didn't like it. They thought it was wrong for Jesus to be letting sinners to hang out with him and listen to him. And they're grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And in this parable, we have been looking at a lot of different images. We've looked at the younger son to get an image of what sin is. But then we've also looked at the at the elder son and understand that it's also sin when you think you're okay and you're trusting in, in yourself. Jesus redefines several things in, in this parable. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I talked about, about three weeks ago, I talked about redefining sin. And that's more or less what I just said a, a moment ago. It is sin to be like the younger son and run off, rebel against the father and waste your life. That's a picture of sin that almost everybody recognizes. But it's also a picture of sin to be like the elder son and, and to think that you're okay and to be dependent upon your own good works. Because that's the kind of sin that can leave you lost forever if you think you're okay and you don't need a Savior. Jesus redefines lostness even in this story. We, once again, could look at that younger son and say, yeah, that's sure the way a lost person lives. But to be honest with you, you look at the older brother and that's also how a lost person lives and it's a very dangerous type of lostness because someone's trying to depend upon who they are and their own goodness and they're trying to skirt around their need for God's grace and skirt around their need for a Savior and, and that'll leave you lost for all eternity. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about redefining hope. The Bible says not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had and took his journey into a far country. Of course, the prelude to that was he had come to his father and more or less said, Daddy, I wish you are already dead because I want the money that's coming to me. And he takes that inheritance and he, and he runs away, thinking he's going to find maybe some degree of happiness for himself, some type of fulfillment out in the world. But instead of that, he has a total life collapse. Instead of finding fulfillment, everything goes terribly wrong. And he wastes everything, and then a famine hits, and there's not even any food for him to eat, and he goes and hires himself out to someone who sends him out to care for pigs, something that a Jewish boy never would have wanted to have done. And then he's there in the midst of all this collapsing around his world, and he starts to think about going home to the Father. 
He probably had some doubts about going home because of the way he had rebelled and the way he had treated his dad and how disrespectful he had been and more or less like, I wish you had died so I could have the money already. So he probably had some doubts about going home, but he, but he still has this urge in his heart to return home. And, and in this story that Jesus tells He's not just telling a parable about an individual family, about a a younger son and an older son and a father. In this story that Jesus tells, he's really he's really telling a story about the whole human race. He's telling your story and my story. He's telling the the whole story of the Bible. Because the story of the Bible more or less is this. It's a story of exile, but it's also a story of homecoming. Uh, the chance to come home. And see, the reason I, I say that he tells the story of the human race, the human race was lost because of sin, but we've got an inbuilt desire inside of us to, to go home. The reason he's telling your story and my story is that we are all lost in sin. We are all exiled because of sin before we were trusted Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as a Savior, you're still in exile. But we've got this desire, this hole in our heart that, that makes us want to go home. So as we think about going home and a redefinition of what home really looks like, we're going to look at a couple of topics today. First one is this. It deals with our problem. Our problem is exile, what I just talked about. We're exiled because of our sin. This young prodigal son, he's, he's exiled because of the choices that he made in his life. The, the reason for exile is life choices a lot of times. Sometimes you might be in exile because of circumstances outside of your control, and we'll actually see some examples of that in a few moments. But predominantly, when we look in, in the Bible and, and look at the reason people are exiled, many times it was their own choices. The younger of them, this prodigal son that we've been talking about, comes to his father, and he says, give me my share of everything that's coming to me now, the property that's coming to me. And then he Divided it, the father did divide it between them, and then he ran off, as we read a moment ago, not many days later, to a far country, and there he, he squandered everything that he had in reckless living. He, he made a tragic life choice that more or less put himself in exile. The, the choices of this prodigal son exiles himself from home and from the father's presence because of what he chose to pursue in his life. There are a lot of examples of, of exile in, in the Bible. You can see, uh, see a lot of exile in the characters of the Bible, examples of it seen in the characters of the Bible. Full of exiles that result from life choices, and like I said a moment ago, other circumstances. You get a picture of how huge exile is as a theme in the Bible. You, you start out back with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and the man and his wife, talking about Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
The reason they hide themselves at this point is because they had chosen to rebel. They made a life choice to disobey what God said, and they had partaken of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they, and they took that as a choice in their life. And because they made this wrong choice, they've got something they had never experienced before, which is guilt. And now they find themselves hiding from the presence of God. See, our life choices will do that a lot of times. Not just for Adam and Eve, but even for us. Still yet today, choices you make in your life can cause you to think you need to hide from God a lot of times. But then the story goes on because it said, therefore the... The Lord God sent him, talking about Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In other words, the dirt that God had made him from. He, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So in other words, because of their choices, God banishes them from the very home that he had made from them, for them. For the very environment, the place that God had created for them, because of their choices, they're now banished. And they live their lives more or less as wandering through the world. And it did not just happen to Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us when Adam chose sin, all of mankind fell into sin. We are now sinners by our very nature. All of mankind, it's kind of like Adam and Eve, because of their sin, we're now exiles. We're wandering through the world, trying to find something that meets our needs, trying to find something that might fulfill us. And what happens is that we're living in a fallen world that just breaks our heart over and over again. Because we're trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong places. And the world just shoots holes in our heart, huge holes in our soul, because we're looking for home, but we're not finding it. We're not finding real home. You, you find it in the story of Cain also, one of their sons, who, by the way, murdered his brother, and he was chased out, and he was a, a fugitive. God said, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And he, he said, my punishment is more than I can bear. You've driven me away from the ground and, and from your face. Uh, I, I, I shall be hidden. And he said, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Jacob, who schemed around to get the birthright and the blessing of his brother Esau. Once it happens and Esau finds out what he has done, he wants to hunt Jacob down and, and kill him. So Jacob flees away, kind of a self-imposed exile. Then years later, he decides to try and return home. And as he's returning home, he finds out Esau is coming out to meet him with a bunch of men, and he doesn't know what might be about to take place. And he goes out during the night, and he crosses a brook, and there, I think he has a face-to-face -face encounter with the pre-incarnate Jesus. I think that's what it means when it talks about the angel of the Lord. He wrestled there with Jesus, and Jesus touched the hollow of his thigh to where he limped the rest of his life, and he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. But then later on, after Joseph, one of his sons, had been sold into bondage, and all the other sons thought, well, man, we're getting back at him, they didn't realize that God had everything under control all along. And Joseph, they sell into bondage, but Joseph winds up rising to a place of prominence in Egypt in order that 
His dad and the brothers can come and have food and a place to live and eat and not die. But then they stay and another Pharaoh takes control and all of a sudden the nation of Israel that grows to be the nation of Israel is in exile, in bondage. King David himself several times was in exile. He was in exile before he was king when he was fleeing from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. Later on in his life after he was king, he was in exile running and hiding because his own son Absalom wanted to kill him. The nation of Israel several times was taken away into exile. One instance being when King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took control of them and carried them away to bondage in a Babylon. I, I just told all those stories to give you the picture that the Bible is, it's a story of exile and, and a story of, of God's people desiring to go home. But this story of exile is not just seen in the characters of, of the Bible. The reason for exile, the choices that we make in our own life is also a problem. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In other words, we're sinners because of nature, because of Adam, because of what theologians call the fall uh, in the original sin and everything. But we're also sinners because of our choice. We choose to do wrong. Peter hits that same theme, and he, and he writes these words, For you were straying like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've all made wrong choices in our life. We all experienced exile in our hearts like Adam and Eve did when they were hiding from the presence of God in the garden. We, we experienced exile. We experienced walls that come up between us and, and God. And what that leads to is, is this, not just the reason for exile, but the regret of exile. We have a longing in our hearts for home. The prodigal son was there longing to be fed with the pods, with that food that he was given to the pigs, but no one's given him anything. He comes to himself and he says this in his own mind. He's thinking to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. He conceives in the midst of all of his brokenness this thought, I want to go back home. This hasn't worked out the way I planned for it to. I, I've got this regret in my life because of what I've done and, and what I need to do is is get up and go back home. You see, that's the same thing that we need to do also because as sinners, we have regret that hits our lives. And what we need to do is understand we need to go to the presence of God. We, we need to have this same choice that He makes to go back home. But you see, the problem with that is there's some difficulties in returning home. Some difficulties that we may be running through our minds as to why maybe we cannot go home. In his book, The Prodigal God, Dr. Keller identifies two main foundational difficulties that we have in thinking we can go home. The first one is this. It's the brokenness within our lives. The brokenness within ourselves as, as sinners. Next next slide, guys. Uh, go on, one more. I've, I've got you lost somewhere. I'm sorry. I apologize. The brokenness within within human hearts. That's a difficulty that keeps us feeling like just maybe we can't go home because we're so broken. 
How can we approach God because we're so broken? But another difficulty we have in thinking we can go home is not just a brokenness within human beings, but it's a brokenness around human beings. We've got this huge brokenness in, in our lives. God makes a provision for us. Our problem is we are longing for home. We desire to go home. We, we desire to return home many times to even our own childhood. Home has these, these huge draw of emotions on, on our heart and, and on our lives. And when you grow up and you leave home, sometimes you, you kind of long for going back home, the place where you grew up, and then you give it a try. Maybe, maybe some family still lives there, and you go for Thanksgiving, you go for Christmas, but, but somehow it doesn't stack up, you know? Yeah, you had this urgent desire, you had this longing in your heart for home, and this regret in wishing you can go back, but, but somehow, even when we return to the homes that we grew up in, sometimes it just doesn't meet our needs. We're disappointed. I can remember marrying, and I married when I was very young, which scared me to death. Had my kids, I think, wanted to do that. I was uh, 20, and Becky was 18, getting ready to turn 19. Uh, at the time, and, uh, and I'm thankful God's kept us together 37 years uh, so far to this point. But I, I can remember after we, you know, came back from our honeymoon and and uh, and kind of going and picking up a few last items to go to our apartment, and and my mom standing on the porch, and it was kind of hard to pull off, you know. And then you've got this draw wanting to go back and wanting it to be like it was, but it's but you can't ever really fully make it like it was we we wind up just being being disappointed and and we make holidays into something that they never wind up fulfilling and that's just a physical longing for home but the truth of the matter is we've got a spiritual longing for home that 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 we try and fill by chasing things in the world trying to find fulfillment trying to find happiness and it just doesn't doesn't work out because you see God made us for fellowship with him we've got a built-in need I saw where I jumped ahead of you now see if you <laughs> sorry about that we've got a built-in need for him I heard someone say once I've heard it said heard many times even in songs uh, before also but uh, there's a saying that goes like this that I think is very true we all have a God shaped hole in our heart and he's the only one that will fill it in his, in his book dr keller quotes c.s lewis as saying this he, he he says we've got a lifelong nostalgia our, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe that we feel cut off from to be on the inside of some door that we have always seen from the outside and he said it's no neurotic fantasy but it's the truest index of a real situation because we we feel disconnected from something we need to be connected to we feel like we're away from home our problem is exile now we'll get to the second point that i jumped ahead to a moment ago God's provision is this. Our problem is exile, but God's provision is home. God has a home for us to return to. A home that 
mankind was exiled from because of sin. He, he's preparing a home for us, and, and we should have these long, strong longings in our heart, these strong longings in our heart for a home, but, but we might be asking ourselves, how in the world can, can we get there? And that was a difficulty that I started on a moment ago. The difficulty of returning home is that we're broken as human beings and the world we live in is broken. But there are also some other things in this story that I think maybe cause some difficulties for us in thinking we can return home. The first one is diversions. Diversions. Not many days later, the son gathered all that he had and he took a country in the, he took a journey in that far country. The world still has a lot of far countries for us. And those far countries want to attract us and make us think we can be happy here, we can find fulfillment over here. But what they wind up being is really just a diversion from what will really give us happiness in our life. So there are a lot of diversions in the world that keep us from, from going back home. Our disappointments a lot of times will keep us from trying to go back home also. This young man, I think, was probably severely disappointed because it didn't work out the way he hoped that it would. And he had squandered everything and he's in a famine and he's starving to death and no one's doing anything to help him. So he's really disappointed in the way things had turned out in his life. It wasn't what he planned. You know, that tends to be what happens to us. We, we plan things ourselves and think this will make us happy and then it doesn't. And we're disappointed. And you think with, with that huge disappointment, you would think that that would have been all he would need to say, I, I'm going to go back home to my father. But tragically, somehow in our minds, we allow our disappointments to make us scared to go back to the father because we're afraid we'll be disappointed again. We also have our doubts to deal with. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he winds up feeding pigs. That doesn't sound like to me that's choice number one for a Jewish young man. So evidently there were some doubts in his heart that the father would even let him come home. Because choice number one should have been, hey, I'm going to go back to my father. I know how he takes care of his servants. I know how much food they have to eat. That's where I'm going. And that's eventually his choice, but that's not his first choice. His first choice is to try and hire himself out and take care of everything himself because maybe he has some doubts that the father would let him come back to the house after the way he treated him. I understand that. You, have you ever had doubts that God would let you come near him at all? And then we've got this debt that we owe. He came up with a plan, this prodigal son. He said, I'll arise and go to my father. I'll say, I've sinned against you in heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he said, let me just do this. This is what he's saying. He, he said, treat me like one of your hired servants, not like a servant that lives on the compound all the time. Not like a servant that lives here in the house. Treat me like somebody you hire from the surrounding village to come work. Let me earn some money and I'll pay you back for what I've done to you. That was really what was going on in his heart. But you see, many times we let the debt that we owe, 
That might have kept this young man away to start with because he thought, how can I ever go back and repay the Father? And many times we feel the same way. We let the debt that we owe because of our sinfulness, because of the place we find ourselves in life, we let that debt keep us from approaching God. And then some people do exactly the opposite. Some people think, well, if I can just work hard enough, I'll pay God back. I'll make amends for everything that I've done. If, if God will just let me work for Him, I can pay Him back. But that never ever works because we cannot return home by our own work. We cannot return home by our own goodness, by our own deeds. We cannot return home by paying our own debt. Instead, there's something else that's needed for us to return home. And here's where the message gets to the point that we're talking about today, where Jesus is redefining hope. Our hope to go to the Father is not found in good works. Our hope to go to the Father is not found in us earning our way. The only hope we have of returning home is the grace that can return us home. That's the only hope, the only chance, the only possibility. We've read this several times because we've been all up and down, all around this parable for eight weeks now. But he decides to go home and while he's still a long ways off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him and he gets ready to make this spiel of repentance and say you know hire me so I can pay you back and the son said to him father I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father kindly interrupts him and stops him before he can say anything else and the father turns around and looks at his servants and he, and he tells them, bring my best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Do you understand the only possibility that we have of returning home ourselves is the grace of God. This young man doesn't return home and say, well, Daddy, I know I messed up, but look how good I am now. I know I've made huge mistakes in my life, but look how much I am, I'm willing to pay you back. Just hire me and I'll work for you. I'll do whatever you want. Just allow me to do it. He's not returned home by that because he doesn't even get to say it. He gets a desire to go home. He starts toward home. And this father who gives us a picture of God the Father runs to him and embraces him and loves him. And in his grace, he brings him back home. Not because of who the young son is in his own goodness, in his own good works. He brings the son home in spite of who he is, in spite of what he's done. The father in grace says, come home. The Father in grace says, get that robe. That's my robe, the best robe. Get that robe that represents all of my glory and you put it on him. Put my ring on his finger that represents the authority of the family. Put shoes upon his wayward feet because he's now back home. And let's kill this fatted calf and have a celebration. The only difference is for us, God the Father killed his son and nailed his son to a cross so that by his grace we can be invited home. That's our only chance to go back home. 
God wired us. He made us to where we ought to have a desire for Him. A desire to be in the home that He wants us to be in. A desire to live in His presence. We ought to be wired for that and long for that. Maybe you don't even identify it in your heart yet. But I'm telling you, God made you that way. There's a hole in your heart that will never be fulfilled by anything except a relationship with God. And you can never, ever, ever go back home by buying your way there. You can only go back home by the grace of the Father. You can only go back home by allowing Him to bring you back in. That's the only way that we can return home. See, this young, this young prodigal son didn't come up and say, Well, Daddy, I know I messed up, but let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you what I'm willing to do or anything like that. The only thing this young son was willing to do. He had already planned to do it. He's going to come home and say, Daddy, I've messed up. And as soon as he said, Daddy, I've messed up, the father said, that's all I need to hear. You come home because of my grace. God the Father longs, if you've never done so, He longs for you to come home. He longs for you to return to Him. The only way home is God's grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, <clears throat> though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were yet what? What does it say? It doesn't say while we were reformed prodigals. It doesn't say while we were cleaned up, while we were good it said, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only way home is the Father's grace. In grace, Jesus became the exile for us because He cried out on the cross in Mark chapter 15, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was exiled so we would not have to be exiled. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, we read the first part of these two verses earlier. I love the second part of these two verses, and that's why I left them out a moment ago. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all, by our choices, we're all sinners. We, we've turned everyone to his own way. But look what else it says. And the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of our sins cannot be paid for by our own action. It's paid for by what Jesus did on the cross for us. First Peter said, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That's the only thing we can do. The only way home for you and for me is the grace of God. All we can do is show up in, and admit that we need it. God offers us forgiveness and salvation as a free gift. In grace, God the Father gives us His glory. He gives us His authority. He brings us home to Himself and He's willing to throw a party for us and He will one day call the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's why we're having the celebration next week. Our hope, our only hope is the grace of God. And if you want to see what redefined hope is, it's simply this. Hope is redefined in the Father's grace. My hope of going back home is not in who I am. It's not in who you are. It's not in anything we can do. Our only hope of going back home is the Father's grace. I could end the sermon right there. But since we're talking about going home, I want you to bear with me just a few minutes because I'd kind of like to read to you about my home.
lot better than the home I've got now. Matter of fact, today I'm really longing for it because the home I have now, uh, all of our kids are out of town and, and Becky and me are babysitting five dogs and two grandkids this weekend. So I'm not really thrilled about my home right now. But I am thrilled about this home. Hebrews tells us when he's talking about the heroes of the faith, that as it is, they desire a better country. In other words, this one doesn't get it. This one's not it. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. So God's prepared a home for us. You'll see more about it. Then I saw a new heaven in a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, that's home, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, home passed away. That original Garden of Eden passed away because of our sin. And all those things happened. Death, mourning, crying, tears. But in the home that He's prepared for us who are saved by His grace, all of that disappears again. And we're restored to the very home that we lost. Guys, I don't know about you, but I get, I get tired of the stinking situations in this world, don't you? I get tired of having reasons to mourn and to whine and to gripe and to cry. I get tired of having loved ones die and leave this place. But thank God there's coming a time that that will never, ever, ever happen. We ought to long for home. That's why I'm reading this to you. So you'll long for home. And if you're not ready to go there, you'll consider being ready before this service is over with. He carried me away in the Spirit. John rise to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And then I'm, I'm not reading all the verses in that text reference. So I skipped ahead. And, and then in the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I thought about that when I read this week. You go to some of the uh, uh, arenas of this world and they'll be hanging the, the, the number and the name of their sports heroes and everything like that. And everybody goes, wow. How about having your name on the gates, on the foundations of heaven? That's wow, huh? For the disciples. And the city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, which if you do some conversion on that, it's roughly 1,500 miles. Now, now keep reading. <laughs> its length and width and height are equal. So it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and that gives a floor plan 
of 2,250,000 miles. You'd like to build that, wouldn't you? Got a couple of contractors here. Moss Marlowe would love to build that, wouldn't they? That'd be a little bit of money. That sounds like a huge floor plan. A lot larger than the home that I live in. But I'm not done yet because the Bible also says it's as tall as it is long and wide. So that makes it this. 3.375 billion cubic miles in volume. Now that's just the city of Jerusalem. That's not all of heaven. That's the new city of Jerusalem. Got a wall that most theologians think that measurement refers to thickness, not height, because if if you're... 1,500 miles tall, what does it matter if you've got a wall that's 216 feet tall, you know? But I don't think it really matters because God's there and He can deal with it. Amen? Take care of anything that comes. The wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Let's keep reading about our home. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city. You know, we, we get really wound up sometimes in how our churches look and what our churches ought to be. This might be shocking to you, but when you get to heaven, there's no temple. You want to know why? Jesus is the temple. God Himself is, is the temple and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. You don't like light, if you don't like darkness, if you're scared of the darkness, don't worry. It won't bother you there, and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, or anyone who does, not, does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So two things from that statement right there. One, it's going to be a wonderful place, no junk to mess with. No reason to be stressed, no reason to be frustrated, nothing coming in that can harm you whatsoever. But you'll only get there if your name is in the Lamb's book of life. So that's what I challenge you to be sure before you leave today that you know Christ is your Savior. We also find this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Where else did you see the tree of life? So the home lost is now recovered. The exile is over with. Everything that was lost is now back again. We can be home again. And with us, twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any war. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. By the way, that's the attraction of heaven. We think gold means a lot here. They walk on it in heaven. 
The attraction of heaven is His presence, His face, and His name will be on our foreheads. And the night will be no more, and they will need no lamp or light or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then John, who is given this description to write down of our future home, closes out the Bible and closes out the book of Revelation with these words. He who testifies these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. That's the promise of Jesus. And then look at John's response. In light of all that he had seen, he said, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In other words, he said, I can't wait for you to get here. And I can't wait to get there. We ought to have a longing for home. The older I get, the more I think about it. Some of you that are older than me can tell me if that's the reason. <laughs> when I was younger, I didn't used to think a lot about a home in heaven. I think a lot more about it now. But I don't think it's just because of my age. I, I think it's because I, I look at how disappointed I am with the world around me. And how frustrated I get with the day-to-day things of life. And I long to go home. And I hope you are longing to go home. Jesus told His disciples this. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. Depends on the translation you're reading. If it were I saw, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there ye may be also. It is quickly before we get into this thing we call an invitation. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. He's gone to make a home for exile sinners. He's gone to make a home to where we can be welcomed there because of His grace. And then Jesus goes on and He says this. After He said, I've gone to make a place, He said, here's the only way you get there. I am the way. And when you read that in the Greek, He uses a special definite article in the Greek language that means I am exclusively the way, I am exclusively the truth, I am exclusively the life. And He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ offers hope for exiled people. A lot of people in the world today and the way Hollywood portrays it and things like that gets the idea of heaven of being people floating around on a cloud and plucking on a harp. God, I hope that's not it. I hate harp music. I mean, if it's John or Landon one with a Strat or a, you know, Les Paul, I might get suffice that for a little while, you know. But not heart music for all eternity. But you see, that's not even what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us it's a real home that we go to. It's a place that we can enjoy eternity. It's a place where we can laugh in fellowship, and never have any pain, and never have any sorrow, and never cry whatsoever. And we can sit down and feast together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a real place to where we'll have real bodies, and we'll be changed to be like Jesus, and we'll be there for all eternity. That sounds like a place I could go. Are you ready? Are you ready for home? Let's pray.
God, forgive those of us that already know you when many times we look like that you're not enough. And we act like we have to go out and, and find fulfillment in the world. Just to be disappointed and just to have our hearts broken over and over again. God, help us who know you already to stay focused upon your presence. You've built us with that desire to be with you and to be home with you forever. So, Father, help us to stay focused upon all that means and to live in a way that you'd have us to live. Not because we want to be saved, but because we are saved. Because we are accepted by your grace. Help us to live like your children, longing to see you one day. But Father, there's someone here that does not know you. And they're still off in a far country. God, help them to see right now they can come home. Help them to see no matter what they've done, how bad their life might have been. All you're waiting for is for them to come to you and, and admit that they're, that they're lost, admit that they've sinned, admit that they can't come home by themselves. Father, help them to make a step toward home today and understand that, that you, by your grace, want to bring them home. So much you sent your Son to die on a cross for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.